0: It has been very enjoyable. We've done a few of those prayer services early in the summer, I believe, late spring, early summer, and um, they were just so... uh it, it was it was good for me. I didn't have to organize or structure any of it. So it was nice. I, I sat back like this with my feet on the, on the seat right in front of me. No, I wasn't that disrespectful, but it was nice to see all of that plan play out. But it was actually great to be led in prayer, like like to actually have some structure to it. I, I don't know about you, but do you find when you say that's it, I'm going to engage in prayer and I'm buckling down and all of a sudden your mind goes and it's gone. And it even happens when we get together as a church and we pray together and stuff. All of a sudden, we start thinking through the grocery list or the car light came on or something like that. And so to have some structure and to be led was really refreshing and something I really look forward to. So I would encourage you, if you've never been in an environment like that, it is very worshipful. Um, it's it's um, both corporate and individual at the same time, the way it's structured. So it's pretty neat that way. Um, we will need to... Um, Caveat just a little bit of the message today because we have been building up to our subject today for the last several weeks, especially now for the last couple of months, we've been in first Peter, which is our New Testament book that we're studying through front to back. But the last couple of weeks especially have been building on this topic of how we respond to those who have authority over us in the situations that we're in. And so today's subject um, is, is not without its controversy as well. And so if some of you read ahead, you're thinking, okay, it was nice to have Pastor Brent in the, um, in the job and this will be his last Sunday because there's no way to handle this subject without butchering it and everything. And you're probably right. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. And if that's what happens, I'm preempting my goodbyes to you today. But, um, the reality is, is the text today is laden with several triggers that our modern culture gets set off by. And it's important for us to understand the tone of what Peter has been building up to and why this is why these are words of encouragement more than condemnation. And so the world will put so much condemnation on the words of Scripture without looking at its intent, without looking at its context. And it's important for us, remember what we said last week, that as a preacher I have the responsibility to come to this, not like somebody who's overly inebriated who needs that lamppost just to be able to hug on to and stand on. Instead, the lamppost was there to shine light for those who are of sober mind. And so I have to be careful not to come to the scripture to say, this is what I want Peter to say to you, or this is what I want to address in our culture and then force Peter's words on it. Now, the reason why we have to be careful about that is because this is a very wide and broad subject and we won't say everything we need to say about it today. You'll have scriptures that'll come to mind and you'll say, but you didn't cover that. You didn't come at it from that angle. Why did you miss that? And I understand that we're limited in time, but what we're going to do is we're going to focus on Peter's intent with the passage. What was Peter's perspective? What was his goal? And that you and I, as we come to this, we have to watch the yeah buts in our own heart and our own mind, right? Yeah, but I don't think he really meant that. Yeah, but he doesn't understand my context. Yeah, but he doesn't know what I'm really up against. We have to be careful with that. So let's come to the text this morning, remembering, like we said last week, that this word submission, which will be right out in front for us today, that this word submission is not our ultimate goal as believers in Jesus Christ. Our ultimate goal is to be like Christ and submission is one of the vehicles that gets us to that, that place of Christ likeness. And so as so many other things are an aspect of who Jesus is that we, that we engage in, submission is one of them. All right, so let's root all of this back in something that Peter said in the, early, in the middle part of chapter 2, verse 12. He said to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil against you, not if, that the Gentiles are the, referencing the unbelievers that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Or we said the day that salvation visits them. And so that they might say, now I know what they were talking about. Now I know why they did what they did. I was trying to pin them against the wall as those who meant harm and were just uh, wayward or troublemakers or things, but their good deeds outweighed all of my accusations. And so I've got nothing to pin on them. Now, if you're new to faith or you're new to this kind of teaching or, or something like that, please understand that. While I'm not apologizing for the text or the fact that we're in it, but understand that this wasn't a subject that we just pulled out of thin air and said, I think we've got to teach on this right now. That this is in line. We've been working through chapters 1 and 2, and now we're in chapter 3. And so it is in a flow of what we call expository preaching. And so I can imagine, as I was writing this this week, I can imagine those of you who are checking in on like evangelical Bible teaching and, and probably going to go, he said, what? He means what with that? So I encourage you to, to listen fully. I encourage you to go back and get previous messages to understand the context. But I also encourage you to strive to hear the heart of the author of the scriptures this morning and, and what he's aiming to accomplish. Because I really do believe it will be an encouragement for us. What Peter is calling believers to is he's calling those that are under a growing threat to live such beautiful lives before people who are not believers or, or what we would say are followers of Jesus Christ so that they will see that you and I are real people. We have real disagreements. We have real struggles with the world that we're in. We have real um, uh, problems in and of ourselves that the Lord is constantly helping and aiding and fixing within us. And then when they see, though, that in our realness, we continue to strive to give God glory or we might say fame, make his name famous in our lives, that they might choose to follow him as a result. And Peter is saying that he's laying out this case for us. It says it matters in how we treat, uh, how we respond to our government, how we respond to those who have the authority over us at work. Today, he's going to say how we respond to the authority structure in the home, and then eventually he's going to deal with how we respond to our authority and our relationships and things in the church. And so he's drawing this this common uh, storyline of submission in all of those areas. And like I said, there are so many caveats that we could give because circumstantially things change. Remember last week we talked about the wisdom that was applied by both Jesus and and others like the Apostle Paul and others where they had to look at the circumstances and determine their reactions based on things like timing. That in the grace of Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit we have, we're able to do that. But he's holding us to a standard of where we start from. What's our starting place? And and so often our starting place, because of how we were born in our sin, our starting place is, you can't tell me what to do. So Peter is encouraging a different approach. Don't act naturally, but supernaturally, because you need a strategy for the circumstances that you can't get out of right now, even if you tried. So as we get into this, let's ask for the Lord's illumination on this. Let's ask for our ears to be sensitive to what God would have us to say. Would you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you, God, for bringing us to this part of the scriptures today. I thank you, Lord, for the encouragement of seeing eager and willing worshipers of you coming together, excited to be able to be present. And I just pray, Lord, that you would bless those that are here, those that aren't here. Lord, help them to grow in their walk with you. Help them, Lord, to find peace and and, and strength Even doing the things that are difficult that you've called us to, give us your mercy, Lord, as we come to your word today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, I'll be honest with you: as we look at the passage today, we're going to cover the first seven verses of chapter three, and and we might be tempted to say, "There's a disproportionate amount of of instruction to wives here, and 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 the husbands only get one verse in this. What's the deal?" Peter overly weighted towards picking on the wise and then he lets the guys off the hook. But I think you'll see as we go through this that because Peter is trying to encourage those who are in oppressive systems, those who are kind of locked into a commitment, he's going to spend more time giving encouragement and strategy to that person. And he's going to take a side jaunt, if you will, to deal with one of the types of people in this particular instance, the husbands who might be guilty of causing that for the wives. And it's, and it's a little bit out of the ordinary here because he hasn't done that with the government part. He didn't say, by the way, you should submit to the authorities that are all of And you emperors, by the way, get off your people's backs. He didn't say that to them. That wasn't in his scope. He said to uh, those who are servants in the workplace, he said, this is how to conduct yourself. This is how to be honorable. This, is, And he didn't scold bosses, be easier on them, lighten up. But he comes to husbands and wives and he says, wives, this is how you're supposed to treat the relationship of marriage in the home. And by the way, while I've got husbands on the hook, don't do this, this and this. So it's going to be a little bit interesting as we see this playing out. I believe that Peter is starting in the first six verses with an encouraging word to wives. Now, just for a little bit of background and context, it would have been very astonishing in the day that Peter was writing this for a woman to have her own religion. Even the secular historians, Plutarch, uh, wrote some advice to the bride and groom, and even they are, 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 are indicating to us how strict the culture was, how unwoke the culture was at the time. The historian says a wife should not acquire her own friends. But there's like this collective groan. I could even hear it going across the internet right now. What? It says, a wife should not acquire her own friends, but should make her husband's friends her own. Because those guys are fun to be around, aren't they? The gods are the first and most significant friends. For this reason, it is proper for the wife to recognize only those gods whom her husband worships. So does she have a say in the matter? What her religious practice is? Nope, not according to secular society. But that isn't how the gospel approaches it. Peter is writing to women who would not have adopted their husband's God and instead decided to follow Jesus on their own. Now, how woke is the gospel? You don't hear that coming out of secular culture or liberal culture, do you? That that the gospel would have given the advantage to a wife whose society was oppressing at the time. Peter speaks into this context words of compassion, but also words of hope through strategy. Many women would have felt powerless if her husband wouldn't, quote-unquote, allow her newfound faith in Christ. What could she do? So Peter says, do, do such. He says, focus on God's mission in the context that he's placed you. First couple of verses of First Peter 3. He says, likewise. Likewise, I knew I'd trip over that. Wives. Be subject to your own husbands, doesn't say women, be subject to men, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, so we've even got more specific context, if they are not believers, if they're not followers of Jesus Christ, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. The reality for all of us is subjection to authority is a part of our everyday life. I, I I was thinking about this earlier and I was like, I can't think of anybody that truly answers just to themselves. We all have somebody to check in on. We we all have somebody to answer to. It's this isn't about men are better than women. We just have different jobs in the marriage relationship. You see, even the gospel levels out the playing field in so many ways that gets missed in our culture today. Paul says to the Galatians in chapter three, verses twenty-six through twenty-eight. He says, for in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. So the gospel levels the playing field. And we're going to see it really play out here in verse 7 in the word to the husband's. But so that you and I, man and woman, when we are in Christ, there isn't that differentiation of who's more important. So again, Peter is is, is pointing out the marriage structure as a unique uh, form of relationship. And this authority that's been given is, because the word subject is a willingly placing yourself under. And so in the context of marriage, this is the way it was ordered so that things would work better. And so Peter puts the emphasis on conduct, not speech, as the secret weapon in this battle. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to frustrated wives who just can't get it through their husband's head that he needs to change or be different and things. And I've had so many testimonies as well on the other side as wives who have said, I started realizing that for all my exasperation of all my extra words, all of my leanings and compulsions, it was getting nowhere. When I finally got out of the way and allowed the Lord's voice to reach him as I prayed for him, or as I gently reminded him, or I just changed my strategy. It was amazing how he started opening up to the truths of things that I already knew he needed to see, but he was acting in ignorance, not willing to see it for himself. So how does that take place? He says to do so in a respectful and pure manner. Now, I admit to you that I'm at a disadvantage experientially in this, though, as I said before, we all have people we have to answer to, and we all have to approach other people with respect. Even Peter covers this last week in our previous passage when he said that we treat everybody with a level of respect as created in the image of God but in terms of specific strategy how do you do this it's far more important for a wife to hear from those who have walked through it themselves and there's a resource that i'm encouraging you to look up in the uh, in the notes um wives in particular called the respect dare it's the counterpart to the Um, The love dare that I've assigned to many men in counseling and things. And it comes at it from the women's perspective, the wife's perspective of how she's supposed to strategize through this. Because it isn't what we typically think the Bible is saying respect looks like. And the encouragement for you is to become a student of how how to do this. Because there's insight that Peter's giving you that is saying this actually can work. And Jesus has modeled for us the the example of purity. We saw this in verses 22 and 23 of the last chapter. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. There was no angles he was trying to play, no deception. When he was reviled or vilified, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is all part of God's mission. This is how he has saved the world. This is how he has cared for those who are lost. And he's inviting a wife to enter into that mission saying, let's work on the same page. Let's work on the same side of this and see if your husband would come to Christ. Which is the cry of so many women's hearts. And especially was at the time of Peter's writing where so many women had come to Christ because of what they saw as an open invitation in the gospel and the respect that was shown to them that culture had walked away from and left behind. Let's continue here. Part of Peter's instruction and encouragement to wives is to get dressed from the inside out. He says in verses three and four, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight, very precious. Okay, now we're getting to it. Okay, Now we understand the Bible is saying women have to look drab, dull, and bland, and they can't talk. Now we're seeing how all of these religious structures and cults and everything have figured out the place for women, right? But this isn't, this isn't Peter's intent. The abuse of this, we can't, we can't overlook it. We see it in so many different uh, segmented parts of religion and control and all of these things where there's no, there's no um, uh, allowance for individual style or personality or all those things. And they come back and they blame someone like Peter for it. Well, he said it right here. Don't get dressed up on the outside. Don't speak. This isn't what he's talking about at all. Adorning is, a, is the word cosmos. And we get, of course, cosmetic from that. But you think of cosmos as being like, whenever I hear the word cosmos, I, speak of, I think of space. And, and what cosmos is, is saying, the word means order. And so as we look at the, the planets and we look at all that we breathe and all these kinds of things in the cosmos, there is an order and a design to it. And when we are approaching cosmetics, we are ordering something that we think is out of place. And Paul uh, Peter is saying here, you have an opportunity to decide on what the, the most important order is in your life. So he's not saying it's a, it's a matter of how much you do on the outside, it's what you're emphasizing And whether or not you would rather spend the time and build the time into ordering the inside, which has an imperishable, uh, unextinguishable beauty that will never fade away with age or anything. So it isn't about amount as much as it is emphasis. Uh, Other translations have said not merely the external Adorn, adornment of your hair and your clothes and all that sort of stuff. I, I speak on behalf of so many men, ladies. Please don't read into this that you don't have to do any of that. Your beauty brings an added element to our world that we just can't manufacture. So please don't rob us of that. That is part of the way that the Lord's created you and the blessing that He's given to this world. And so Peter's emphasis is not on ignoring those things, but not prioritizing them that above the other things. There was a high emphasis on elaborate fashion in those days. And so Peter's words are very specific to the culture because so many women had seen the other wealthy, privileged, prestigious and everything, seen how, how perfectly done their hair was and jewels even within their hair, their dressing and all those kinds of things. And so it was a, it was an image of accomplishment. It was an image of status. And so Peter is saying don't attain to or don't desire to attain to that amount of privilege or status or anything because that's what we do if we only have this world to live for. That's all they've got. That will fade. So he says the internal adornment is about that which will last forever. Proverbs thirty one is the kind of the classic passage of we've we've nicknamed it the um, the uh, uh, the the chapter if you will on the virtuous woman. And in verse ten, in spe- uh, specific, if you look at Proverbs thirty-one, what you see is the opposite of what people have said that the church describes a woman to be. Instead, you find a very accomplished, a very secure, a very um, impactful woman to not just her family and husband, which she certainly is, but also to the society around her. And in verse ten of Proverbs thirty-one, you hear an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. How does she get there? By emphasizing the hidden person of the heart, by emphasizing the imperishable beauty that God looks at and calls precious. I can tell when my wife has to engage in this aspect of not burying me for something stupid I just said or did. I can tell when she chooses to bite her tongue instead of making me rightfully pay for the way I just treated her. And I'm not saying that Chris Small is without opinion or that we don't ever have this conversation going back and forth and everything. She's not mousy that way. But I know when she's actively engaging in showing me respect that I don't deserve. And in that, I see that as her development and her growth and her display of imperishable beauty. I already think she's beautiful. But there's a different thing I notice about her when I see that. And it's one that brings kind of this instant conviction to me of how am I treating that? Guys, I'm not saying I do this all the time. I'm sure that she does it 10 times more than I recognize. I was privileged to grow up in a house where I saw my mom demonstrate these qualities to her. Her husband, my father, who was late coming in his faith who uh, to try to honor her desire to always get her family back in church. She grew up Southern Baptist in the deep South. It was just part of her cultural thing. And she wanted to uh, raise her kids in that. She had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and she wanted us to have one too. But for the large part of my young years, she was pretty much the only one bringing us to church. My dad didn't try getting in her way and he wasn't overtly persecutorial or anything like that to her. But he just didn't have the interest. And she had to do it alone for a while. The Lord got a hold of my dad's heart through various um, circumstances and things. And he himself became very sold out to Christ and had the opportunity to, as shy as he was, he stood before hundreds of people in our church and gave a testimony about the Lord's grace in his life. And the only part that he really broke down about was recalling the faithfulness of his wife. And, and, and bragging to a congregation of people how she has been his rock even before his suffering had ensued, because she had just demonstrated this all along. My my mom is not mousy. She is not silent. She is opinionated. She shared many of those opinions with her son. Some I listen to, some I don't. But the reality is is we all respect her persistence. We all respect her grace and her poise. She would not say she always handled herself well. She would not say she was always patient. But those around us that have seen her just do it for decade after decade after decade praise her because we acknowledge this imperishable beauty that she has. So when we come to words like gentle and quiet... It starts to inform for us it doesn't mean silent. Quiet doesn't mean silent, does it? You and I can be around quiet people. It's like, well, when they speak, it counts. Because we know they're not full of words. They don't always need to be heard. Because they're gentle about it. So many times wives are reminded you can't be your husband's Holy Spirit. And that is true. There's only one Holy Spirit and he is God. But you can imitate his aspects in your husband's life by giving uh, him the rightful counsel that you've been in position to give him as his wife, to comfort him, to correct, and even to convict. Those things are available to you as you imitate how the Holy Spirit moves in our lives as well, but it is predicated on being gentle and quiet or strategic and wise, Peter's call is cutting to the heart of the dilemma of the day. Do I live for temporary status that makes me feel important and powerful? Or do I live for something long lasting, even if it hurts my status in the short term? I don't think that we can escape the clear parallels between the instruction to wives and the instructions to the bride of Christ, the church. Paul says in Ephesians 5 that we as the church, and the church collective and universal, is the bride of Jesus. And so our power is seen in the eyes of God, but often lost on the world. When you and I as a church are moving forward doing the things that God acknowledges and and cares about and says are very precious, it's typically lost on those out there. Because it's not quite what they're looking for. You could say the same thing with marriage. As wives are trying to do things biblically, the world would just say, eh, it looks pretty weak to me. As we develop the hidden church of the heart, our beauty, or we would also say our impact, will be imperishable. This is how a wife in a church is to get dressed from the inside out. The last thing that Peter says to wives in this is to focus on a strong human example. Verse five and six, he says, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him, and this is what I want all of you to try today, calling him Lord. You know, I don't see any problems with that. I don't see how that could go wrong at all. Actually, please don't do that, wives, because I have to deal with some of your husband's egos too, so you're only encouraging it. But he says, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. In other words, you are carrying out her lineage or the heritage that she's left. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. This is such a loaded couple of verses, and I wish we had more time. But what we're looking for in our strong human examples is somebody who is unique. He says these are holy or set apart or distinct or distinguished women which are very rare. So he says, you've all heard of Sarah. You've all seen her example. The wife of the great father Abraham, the one who is the father of so many generations. You've heard it said that behind every good man is a, or every man, I don't know how it goes, is a good woman or something like that. All I can remember is the one Jim Carrey says in some dumb movie where he says, behind every good man is a woman rolling her eyes. That's the one I keep thinking of. But I like the fact that he chose Sarah here because she's relatable to women. If you see Sarah's, Sarah's life and how she had it right so many times. And then even after the promise of God, which she claims to believe that Abraham would have a lineage and, a, and, a, and she said, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. It's not happening quick enough. And she started making decisions that are really hard to read in the scriptures. You're like, what? She did What? But see, this is what I like about Sarah as an example is because she's relatable. So many times as we have human examples or people that we can follow in our life, they're on such a high pedestal that we shoot ourselves in the foot and say, there's no way I could ever do what that person did. But the thing that the Lord finds precious and what he sees in our actions doesn't always look like perfection. He says, the perfection part is what I provided. I expect you to come with your flaws and mistakes. But I expect you to be faithful. I expect you to give me another opportunity to redeem you, to show you grace and to use you anyway. And Sarah certainly was. Even in some of the scariest times when her husband had a complete moral failure of things and put the weight of it on her shoulders, she kept silent and trusted her God for rescue and God came through. So Peter says, you're her daughters. If you do good, And do not fear anything, because it's no big deal. If you don't fear anything, because there's really nothing you should be worried about here. No. If you don't fear anything, and he confirms, even the stuff that is wicked scary. Now again, our caveats are saying, are you saying a woman has to put up with dot, dot, dot? Not saying that. Remember, it's our starting position. Lord, what am I willing to give you until you've given me wisdom and clarity that I no longer have to endure that? That's why we get good counsel from our friends and our church and all these kinds of things. And we, we get wisdom on these things that something like a 35-minute sermon is not going to give you all those nuances of life. But is our starting position. Lord, even if it's scary, I will trust in you for your deliverance. This is the difficult call that so many wives have on their lives. What does Proverbs 31 about this virtuous woman say in verse 25? Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. Not flippantly, but because she's bold and courageous, she trusts unflappably in her God. So now we switch gears. For time's sake, let's move into... Uh, this section for a word of warning to husbands you notice in in the instruction to wives there's nothing that says if you don't do this you'll get whack there's none of that in that section it shifts gears a little bit when it's talking to the dudes all right verse 7 likewise husbands likewise what go back to verse 12 that we started with in chapter 2, that says, live your lives before unbelievers in such a God-honoring way that they will give uh, the Lord the credit even when they speak against you as evildoers. So likewise to that, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, Get close to your wife. Peter says, live with them. Don't just provide for. Well, I I pay the bills on the house and I make sure that the money is there and all that sort of stuff. I've given her structure or something as though she's not doing much to contribute to it. He says, live with them. I have yet, as best as I can recall, I have yet to have a husband and wife in counseling where the wife did not put a high value on time spent in her presence. We have a tendency to say, well, it's quality instead of quantity. And to wives, by and large, quantity equals quality. If you're the type of guy we like to be around. So Peter is saying, live with them, spend time, be in the presence of, pay attention to your wife. Showing honor to her. Get to know your wife in an understanding way. In other words, you have been tasked with the heavy responsibility of leading her. You can't lead her if you don't know her. And you say, look, I've been with her for 30 years. I know the woman. There's some truth to that. Time does give its own education. But she's not static. She doesn't just only like the things she did 30 years ago. She doesn't only know the things she knows, she knew 30 years ago. She's changed and developed in the circumstances of her life and changed. Do you know the current version of her or do you know the version of her that you first married? So Peter is said, get to an understanding of who she is. And what does the world say? Can't figure a woman's mind out. Man, why are you even trying? It's not real. It's not true. Peter says, yes, it can be done. You can live with her in an understanding way. And to give her honor, in other words, esteem her or value her highly. Treat her with such dignity that as she's out in the world and, and that you would think of her as someone who's not worthy of your bad conduct. That you would say, I'm keeping myself above board. I'm keeping myself locked in. Why? Because this woman that I have doesn't deserve any less. That you show her that dignity. And as he says that she's the weaker vessel, we believe that he's really emphasizing the physical uh, difference or disparity, if you will, between the physical strengths. This isn't a moral, um, impugning of she's just not as, as spiritual as you or she doesn't know between right and wrong because she's aimless or something like that. But she's just not able to take um, in the same ways all the things that you're able to take and that your presence and your physical prowess and all this kind of stuff could, could actually, um, mistreat her. So don't break her. Now, if I have, I have people over my house and I have this vase. I have this glass of water. We can pretend it's a vase, although I won't do what I'm, where I'm going with this. But I, I tell my friends, like, oh yeah, my, this has been handed down in my generations. I don't know much about vases and stuff, but I know that this one is priceless. And, uh, so I've been given this and, and uh, I just set it right over here and it's on this rickety old table. And this table has like a, a short leg and all this kind of stuff. Certainly not created or made to hold such a valuable piece. And, and my friends are like, well, you say it's priceless, and it's like, you know, why? first, why haven't you sold it? Well, because I'd never hear the end of it and everything, so I hang on to it. Well, why do you let it sit on that rickety table? It's like hanging over the edge there, and you, it'll be fine, no big deal. Why wouldn't you put it on that thing over there? This thing over here is like really stable and strong. Well, all my trophies go there, man. I've won all these throughout the years. This is who I really am. This thing, I don't care. It's just It matters to other people, not me. You see, this is the mindset that Peter is speaking to where husbands are careless with the, with the value and the dignity of their wives, let them teetering over the edge and leaving them out there to the elements of gravitational force and all the other things that might break this, this vase. And, and everyone around's going, how can you mistreat or miss the value in who this woman is? Well, because I've got my own needs, you know. My own things matter. To me, I don't have time to worry about propping up that leg over here or mo- relocating it to something more stable. So Peter is saying, gentlemen, please do not be so careless with your wives. And to turn this over a little bit on this idea of wives having to follow their husband's God back in those ancient days. I think Peter's actually getting a, giving a hint to husbands by saying, get access and keep your access To your wife's God. It's not because Peter's trying to be a feminist here or anything like that. But he's trying to show the level playing field that we have in Christ when he says about the wife, they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So don't treat it as though you're getting to heaven first because you had this headship thing going on in your house. That it doesn't make you more godly or spiritual or more in favor or anything. In other words, dude, recognize that she is God's daughter, making her also in Christ your sister. She's going to inherit the same uh, 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 grace that you've been given as well. I always think about the scenario of a, a son-in-law going fishing with his, his father-in-law. And launching out early in the morning, family sees them launching off and everything. And the dad's been talking to his son-in-law out of interest for how's it going for his daughter. He's been asking him, so how's the marriage going? And he knows his daughter's own personal quirks and things like that. And so he's interested as to whether or not this, this young man is managing marriage well and surviving it okay. And they had a previous talk about how those things are going. So the dad was like, well, you know, she's got some particular taste like this. And I'd be sensitive to that and, you know, that kind of thing. So just pay attention to who she is. And so now he's curious. They're going fishing and he's going, so how's it been going? We haven't talked for a year. How's it been going? And so the son just kind of says, the son-in-law says, well, you know, I heard everything you said. And it was definitely insightful. It's clear that you knew her. But I was finding that that was a much slower way of getting change to happen in the marriage and stuff. And so I just kind of took matters in my own hands. So now what happens is every time she gives me lip, I just crack her one back. And so I'm just dealing with it in my own way, my own manner. And guess what? She's really shut up about the whole thing. She doesn't give me a problem anymore. Now, imagine the family's surprise as they saw two guys go out fishing and only one man return. Because dad has had enough of hearing that garbage, right? And he never thought about killing a man before until somebody threatened his daughter. And dad took matters into his own hands and says, I'm sorry, punk, you're not getting off this lake. You see, this is what we forget when we mistreat God's children, that the Lord is watching this and saying, I died for them. I've rescued them. She is precious to me and so this word of warning comes to husbands. Don't forget that she's God's daughter and you don't come to the Lord and saying, Lord, I want you to bless me. Lord, give me uh, uh, give me prosperity for, for my road. Give me um, uh, privilege in my work and all these kinds of things. Lord, I want the life that you want to bless me with. And he says in the whole time, you're spiritually just slapping around my daughter. What kind of dad says, oh, I get it. Every marriage has quirks. He's going to defend his daughter. Peter says, don't continue to treat her like this so that your prayers won't be cut off. What a scary warning that is. Peter is giving two different two different roles, a husband and a wife. He's giving them two different sets of motivation for living out their calling. Wives are called to show respect and submission to their husband. Peter's made that clear, clear, as other parts of the scriptures have as well. But why? Why would I do this? If I'm in that losing position, why would I continue to do this? Uh, Peter is saying that because if you're joining God's mission, you're fighting for a better or a bigger outcome than just your personal comforts and your satisfaction with your marriage now. You're fighting for the salvation of your husband. Also, you're looking towards a better example. You're looking for a holy calling and you you're looking for it in in women that have done it successfully. Although we have so many here at faith that I think are admirable. They should be preaching this message more than me. And they would not recognize that they're doing it well or right. Because for them, the, the struggle is constant. The navigation is is tricky. And, and the wisdom that's needed to come is, is not something that they always feel like they have when they need it. And yet we see the trajectory of their faithfulness in these areas. And we applaud their efforts because they are doing what God has called them to do to bring their husbands to Christ. Whether they've responded yet or not is not what they're held accountable to. And so even in our midst, we have these holy examples. Husbands are called to show honor and care to their wives by respecting her standing in Christ. She's an heir. She's a daughter of God. And that we are to healthily fear being rejected by Him if we don't take care of her. So what can a wife do? What is Peter saying? He's calling her to reflect on her tone of her speech towards and about her husband, which is the least popular thing you can do right now. Watch any sitcom or commercial or anything and you think, what's the what's the regard that society has on the role of a husband and see if it looks masculine or leading or anything, or if it looks like the, the roles are reversed and Peter should have been writing this about men. I think that we'll see that that's how society looks at the roles. How they flipped around. I've, I'm on record before saying, now watch, watch, unless it's an advertisement during a golf or football, for the most part, if you see a car commercial now, who's going to be driving? I leave that for your consideration. And just ask, what does that, what is that trying to say? Cause every advertisement thing is on purpose. Also, wives would be encouraged to offer their acts of submission to the Lord because he sees them. All of your efforts, all of your sacrifices are not lost to the one who can actually do something about it. Switch modes from the complain about stage to the pray for, for your husband. Peter's encouraging you to find a godly role model, someone you can ask for guidance, someone who will pray for you and just endure the struggle with you because sometimes there just aren't good answers. He'd also say to replace a focus of fear of these potential outcomes, the things that truly are scary, to replace a fear of those outcomes with a focus of how your faith should encourage your actions. What should a husband do? We've said it. Recognize the incredible responsibility that comes with the authority that you've been given in your role as husband and head of the house. You didn't receive the role for you, though it has often been abused that way. Be careful with your wife's fragility. Show value to her because she is made special and unique and welcome it as the missing component of your life. This is the heavy calling that Peter has for us. This is why I believe that this is a direct counter to how culture sees these roles and how they've accused the gospel of being rigid, archaic, and ancient. Instead, it's freeing and life-giving because of all that Jesus has provided for us. Would you stand as we close in prayer? We're going to continue to sing uh, this morning um, to our great God. Lord, I thank you, Father, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the incredible examples that we have not only in Scripture but in our own lives and the eyeballs that we have to be able to see how people are really trying to honor these principles, Lord, and being blessed and rewarded for it. So I pray, Lord, that you would send a blessing to all of our husbands and wives today. Lord, give them wisdom and acknowledgement of what you've called them to do and give them the grace to do it. Lord, these things matter so much more in your book than they do in the, the accolades that we won't receive by our society or our families or even from the person that we're setting as the object of our love. So, Lord, I pray that they would not go without their own rewards, but they would be piling up these rewards in heaven for the day that you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you, Lord, for today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.